One of the Bibles near you again, if you would, and turn back um, to the reading we had from Deuteronomy, chapter 5, on page 184. Again, especially for the students, as I'm the student worker, let me welcome you tonight. Uh, if you're, and anyone who's here for the um, first time this evening, we've been doing a little series in the start of Deuteronomy. This is the last one tonight, so hope you can pick up with this. Uh, there's a little blue sheet in your handout which has an outline for the talk if you find that helpful. Um, uh, Deuteronomy 5. We're, we're back in Deuteronomy again for the, the last time on Sunday evenings. We're standing with Moses and a new generation of God's people, Israel, facing the future. Uh, they're, on, they're on the boundary of God's promised land again. Uh, there's been reminders that we've seen over the, the past a few weeks, reminders of past failures. A positive reminders about God. And this kind of question, so will they trust God and live? And we've seen that Deuteronomy is a book for us too. And so we can listen today and know the eternal God is speaking to us as we face the future. And will you trust God and live? Trusting God can feel hard, can't it, at times? And you start to listen to Moses' words and think... Well, if you're a Christian, well, what about my past failures? And what about my future? And you wonder a little, will I ever change? Will I live the way God calls me to? You might think, what will deal with that guilt that I feel? And I don't mean the false guilt that the overly sensitive feel. I mean the real kind, real genuine guilt that you might come with tonight. Or what will give you reassuring joy even when faced with life's sadnesses? It would be good to be reminded about that wouldn't it? And maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've come along. Maybe you're actually you're kind of fed up with your Christian friends, uh, the way they go on about God all the time. Uh, but you've come along tonight anyway, and you're, you've just been beginning to wonder, uh, what is it about this God that he seems to be able to get people to love him? And their love for God seems to give confidence through tears, a foundation in trouble. And you've noticed it. It would be good to know about that, wouldn't it? And we ended last week in John chapter 1. Let me uh, start there this week. It's on the top of your handout, actually. You don't need to look it up. Uh, but we read these words. Uh, I'm quoting from the, the ESV. Uh, this is what John writes. From his fullness, and we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Uh, John looks at God's activity, and he, what he sees is grace upon grace. Grace. Uh, verse 17 explains what he means there. Uh, the law came through Moses. That's what we've been looking at over these past few weeks. Uh, there was grace there. And so what about this Jesus Christ, God's King? Well, John says he's like grace on top of grace. I've never been, but I'm told it's just too big to take in. 4,000 feet high, 277 miles long, 15 miles wide, covers about 1.2 million acres. And when you're there, you can walk up and down, and as far as you look, all you'll see is the Grand Canyon. And John's saying, when you come to the God of the Bible, as far as you look, you'll always see grace. God's undeserved generosity towards people like you and me. In fact, grace is almost falling over itself, grace upon grace. And so we're going to walk up and down in Deuteronomy and have a look at it. 
In Deuteronomy 5 that's open in front of you, here's the first thing. Grace alone is the foundation for life with God. And Moses begins in his familiar way, Hear, O Israel. The instruction to listen occurs so often in Deuteronomy that you almost stop listening to it. So do remember that with God, our main means of response and worship is not our mouths to sing with, encouraging though that is, it's our ears. Listen. And as we listen, Moses explains the relationship God offers these people. At verse 2, we read these words. The Lord God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. Now the thing is, if you've been reading Deuteronomy with us, these guys that Moses is talking to were the most children, and many of them wouldn't have even been born when God met the people at Horeb. And God did make a covenant with their fathers. Uh, The point Moses is making is that wasn't just for your fathers. The same relationships offered to you. God's relationship with his people is ongoing in each generation. And when it comes to this relationship, God likes to be personal. I don't know how many of you are into texting. I I imagine all of you over here, uh, most of you up there, Uh, Some of you down here, and probably absolutely no one over there. (laughs) Uh, How many did you send a day? A one to four? Five to ten? Over ten? Have you texted in the last 20 minutes? (laughs) That was more laughter than I expected. That probably means some of you have. Shame on you. Don't text. Listen. I get fed up with texts a little bit. They, they've got, if you use them, you know they've got that kind of predictive texting now where the phone actually tries to second guess you. It guesses your words for you. I find often people don't check them very well. So a friend sent me a text which should have said, do you want to come around for a meal? Instead of which it said, do you want to come around for a neck? <laughs> which, if I'm not mistaken, is slang for smooching. Um, and it's not what she wanted to say. As a means, as a means of communication... I don't find text that personal. I don't actually find them that personal. And it's, it's not the kind of way God relates to his people. Impersonal text. Do you see verse 4? The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. When God communicates, he's being very personal. But hang on. Uh, These people weren't at the mountain, most of them. You see what Moses is saying? As they hear these words repeated, that same God is still speaking them now personally. You let that sink in for a moment, and you see what this means. The Bible can never be impersonal text. God says when someone reads his words, he is speaking it personally to them. And now any academic can pick up a Bible, read the words and care less about God, but you, a teenager, a new student, mum or grandparent, you pick up your Bible wanting to get to know God better and he says, I'm speaking to you face to face. You'll meet some Christians who, who seem to emphasise what they'd call direct personal words from God. It can make you feel a little bit inadequate, wondering why you never get that kind of thing. Don't you feel less spiritual? Do you understand this? 
God says when you're at home reading your Bible in your room, he's speaking to you face to face. You feel it sometimes, don't you? Uh, But whether you feel it or not, he says he can't be more personal with you. Is that not something? Uh, You could call that gracious, couldn't you? God speaking personally to you. And the foundation of this committed covenant relationship, well, it's clearly built on grace, verse 6. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. See, this relationship starts with God freely choosing a people, rescuing them so that they could live in freedom. They've not done anything to earn it. It's all grace. Grace alone is the foundation for life with God. And maybe you've been thinking about becoming a Christian. Well, this is part of what it's about. A covenant relationship where you know God personally, remain loyal to him, and this relationship sets you free. It's not because of good things you've done in the past, it's because of God's grace. Everything you have from God is built on his undeserved generosity towards you. Grace. And it makes you look at the Ten Commandments and the laws that follow in Deuteronomy in a different light. You see, these aren't the demands of a tyrant. They're the framework for a life of freedom. It stands to reason, doesn't it? If God frees us, well, he must free us to live in the right way. Now, that's why sin in the Bible is often described as slavery. We're not actually free to live real life. But recipients of God's grace are set free. A grace should start to change us. Uh, so here's uh, the second thing. A grace remembered shapes the life of God's people. Uh, Emma was a girl I used to work with. I remember her telling me about her dad. One Christmas Eve, he sat up in bed and said to his wife, your ears are pierced, aren't they? Uh, to which she replied, we've been married for over 20 years. Uh, no answer that starts like that ends well, I guess. <laughs> uh, we've been married for over 20 years. Uh, you know they're not pierced. They've never been pierced. Dad flops back down in bed with a groan. The expensive pearl earrings don't seem like such a good present anymore. (laughs) Forgetting a little thing makes a huge difference, doesn't it? And Deuteronomy, in a number of ways, says, remember grace. And we'll look at a few. Here's one of them. Remember why you enjoy blessings. If you need to turn over, it's chapter 6 and verse 10. We'll read these words. Remember why you enjoy blessings. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. You do not forget the Lord who brought you out of slavery. Fear the Lord and serve him only. How will grace shape these people? Well, Moses says if they remember they're recipients of grace, that they're rescued slaves set free, well, they'll never take anything for granted. No, instead, they'll enjoy all that God gives, and he is very generous, and they'll continue to trust him gratefully. I remember when I I lived in York, I I rented a three-bedroom house, lovely garden. Uh, The rent was £100 a month, 25 quid a week. All my friends moaned about their rent in comparison. Except Alice, who said, Isn't that brilliant? 
I said, Alice, you're the only one who's not moaned about their own rent. And she said to me, I still remember this, why be envious when God is so generous? We moan, don't we, when we think we've not got what we deserved. When we think we're missing out. Alice understood grace. That she doesn't deserve anything, but that God has already been extravagant towards her. Well, so what if someone appears to have a little more money? She knows the gracious God. She's set free. And blessings for her now become a source of gratitude, a source of gratitude that keeps her close to God. Have you been mourning? Well, you've forgotten grace. Have you become tight-fisted? Well, you've forgotten grace. Oh, well, here's another thing. Uh, remember why you follow God's law. Chapter 6 again in verse 20. Just have a look down to that. And Moses carries on and says this. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out. And just look down at verse 24. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord so that we might always prosper and be kept alive. You see how someone who remembers grace looks at God's law? It's freedom. It's life-giving. It shows me how to live in just the right way. Uh, You're a student just starting university. You're about to see lots of people not know how to live. Oh, they'll act as if they do. Uh, They'll talk about freedom, but you'll see plenty get enslaved. You'll see them falling out, refusing to forgive. Enslaved by the grudges they hold. You'll hear them saying, I can't enjoy myself till I've had a few drinks. Not even free to enjoy themselves without being drunk. Uh, They might even mock you for living as a Christian. Uh, You could start to feel God's laws limit your freedom. Remember grace. It's the rescuing God who gives you his laws. His laws are always for my good so that we might prosper and be kept alive. And here's another one. Chapter 7 and verse 7, if you just look onto that. Remember why God chose you. And we'll read these words. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but... It was because the Lord loved you. I see, if God's relationship with his people is built on grace, it must do something for the way they see themselves. It must do something for self-image, mustn't it? I see, there can be no room for arrogance because they're not chosen because they're better. And there's no need for low self-esteem as they understand grace. Uh, The Lord has set his affection on you. We find all sorts of ways for defining ourselves, don't we? It's who's good looking, it's who's the most talented. Uh, God says that's not the way for defining yourselves. It's this, that he has loved you. God wants you. He loves you. Uh, Victor Hugo wrote, The greatest happiness in all the world is to know that we are loved. Can you imagine what our society would be like? No more arrogance anywhere. No more low self-esteem. 
that grace would set us free from those things. Do not long to live in a grace-filled world. We perhaps begin to see that the heart of our society's problems, it's not money, it's not abortion, drugs, low self-esteem, arrogance, crime. They're the symptoms that erupt because we have walked away from our gracious creator. How grace would shape the lives of his people. How grace would shape our lives. And all Israel has to do is accept God and remain totally loyal to him. Why wouldn't you want to? But as we've seen in Deuteronomy, the dark cloud that hangs over Israel is that they don't receive God's grace. In the long term, they seem unable to live for him. You might want to turn over to the other side of your handout. We'll see a problem and a promise. I see Deuteronomy predicts with frightening accuracy a society that will fracture and live not under God's blessing, but actually under his curse. See, even at this early stage, provision, provision already has to be made for capital offences. It doesn't bode well. Chapter 21 and verse 22, it's on your sheet. We'll read these words. If a man guilty of a capital offence is put to death and his body is hung in a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight because anyone who is hung in a tree is under God's curse. It's a terrible prediction. Offered life, these people will choose to walk away from God. And the effect will be seen in a society that is far from free. Where terrible things happen and God who wants to bless will actually curse. The law that was intended to be a gracious blessing becomes a curse on sinful people who refuse to live that way. And we know that Deuteronomy speaks to us too. And we see our society rejecting God. We know we do ourselves. The Old Testament prophets were right. Our hearts are hard towards God. Politicians come up with plans to fix society. We've had new deals and back to basics. I'm not knocking them. They do a good job. But as you believe God's word, you realize they'll only ever limit the effects of a sinful heart. They'll never cure it. And so we're left again looking at Deuteronomy, hoping that it will shine a glimmer of hope on us. The book is actually dotted with them. One of them is in uh, this verse in front of you, in chapter 30, verse 6. Uh, Speaking to a people about their problem hearts, Moses gives them a promise from God. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and soul and live A promise from God that he will do something about our sinful hearts. Deal with the curse we live under because of sin and change us from the inside out. If he does that, it really would be grace upon grace. And so that's the last thing. Grace upon grace and exchange of lives. As we finish, would you turn with me to the second reading that we had from Galatians? Chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul's writing a letter to to early Christians. It's on page 1169 in your Bibles. And actually, just turn over to verse 10. I'll wait for the rustling to stop. You've got there, good. Paul's writing to Christians, verse 10. See what he says? 
All who rely on the law are under a curse. And we've understood why that is. God's law is good, but we refuse it. And so that good law condemns us. We need something else. Rescue, not just reform. And it's there in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, and remember back to this capital offence, we read it just a minute ago, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. As you look at Jesus Christ hanging on that cross, that tree, you understand John's words. Grace upon grace. See, we're the criminals against grace. But he was treated like one. We should face God's curse, but he, hang, he hung on a tree bearing the curse for us. Do you remember God's plan back in Deuteronomy to rescue our people, to set them free to live? Well, it's, it's here in verse 14. He redeemed us, set us free. If you're trusting Jesus, you're forgiven. There's no curse to come on you. The penalty of God's law has been lifted. Instead, if you're trusting Jesus, you'll receive, the end of verse 14, the promise of God's Spirit. God's Spirit living in you now, changing your heart so you can love and live for Him. It's a swap, an exchange of lives. It's grace upon grace. If you're a Christian, Deuteronomy speaks about facing the future. And the encouragement is, God is gracious. Are you remembering to trust Jesus who sets you free? You'll spot if you're remembering grace in a variety of things because it must shape your life. If you're troubled by genuine guilt, lives changed by grace, remember that Jesus has taken the curse. He frees you to face the worst things you've done and thought and not be bound by past failures. You can be forgiven. Isn't that something? When looking at God's laws through eyes changed by grace, God's word becomes the pattern of life. Jesus, by his spirit, is freeing me to live. It's not a restriction, it's for my good. And when I fail to live up to it, it's not even a burden that condemns me. It's a spur to ask for more grace to help me change. And when tempted to mourn about how tough I've got it, grace points to all the treasures that you've got in Jesus and reminds you that in whatever difficulty, God will always be there to help. His relationship with you is personal. I don't know what you've come, got coming up in the, uh, the next few months. Do you need to remember grace? I do. And we're going to do that in a moment as we share the Lord's Supper together, as we remember his death and resurrection for us. Before we do that, let's pray together.